The beauty of today, another beauty, is that we, we finish up chapter 11 of Mark. Yeah, we only have, uh, what, uh, five more to go. No, chapter 10, and we start in 11, so we got six more to go, sorry. But um, let's pray, and then we're going to dig into the Word. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you again for all that you did. And Lord, that we sense your pleasure in the worship as we were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Father, with all my heart, I ask that you will speak through your word this morning, that we walk out of here changed, that we don't leave the way we came in. And we bless you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm getting to the point where it's almost getting hard to watch TV unless a John Wayne movie's on. <laughs> Only because it's a, you get bombarded with, you deserve this, I've said this before, or you need this, or you need this, or you need this, and it creates this mindset that it's about me, which there are times it is about us, and they're okay. But it's just a constant barrage of it's about you. You need this. You deserve this. It's time that you did this because you are, the, you know, boom, 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 boom. But here's the question. You, know, you notice that it really does, we don't ever get asked this question. What do you really want? What do you really want? Think about it. What do you really want? Now, if you're a musician, you want a new instrument, you're a car enthusiast, you want an antique car that's fully restored, you don't have to do any work on it. You know, or you want a new car, or you want this, you want that. What do you want? Now you're all going, I know where you're going to go with this. We, there's an answer that we have to say. We want Jesus. <laughs> you may be surprised. Today what we're going to do is we're going to look at two men. But we're going to focus on one. But we're going to look at two men who knew they were, what, they, what they needed, who they were, they knew these things because they knew what they really needed. And it's easy to, to listen to a preacher or a Bible teacher or Sunday school teacher or you know, somebody that's teaching the Bible, teaching the Word. It's easy to listen and for them to say, you know, well, we need Jesus. Well, okay. But we're going to look at something today. I think it's going to take us and move us to understand something. Because the more we've been in, in Mark, and I remember we, when we started it a long time ago, and we started in Mark, I laid out this, under, you know, this, this foundation, or tried to, that the book of Mark, as any book in the scriptures, from Genesis to Revelation, is all about Christ and salvation. It's not about anything else. It's not about our prosperity it's not about our, our needs, our wants, because it, it, it focuses on one need that man has, and that's salvation. Because man has rebelled against God, which you don't want, people don't want to hear anymore. Because it's like, gosh, that's so negative. Well, yeah. Because our great, 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 great grandparents are so stupid. Meaning what? Adam and Eve. They rebelled against God. And in Adam and Eve, all of mankind fell. And we have a sinful nature. 
But you don't hear much about that. Why? Because it's negative and it, it doesn't make us feel good and it doesn't make us sound. And you know, God is good and God's not worried about our sinful nature. God's worried about us just being happy and blessed. And, and no, he's not. If he wasn't worried about our sinful nature and, this, and what sin did in our lives, he would have never sent his son. So here's our premise today, okay? Our proposition, as I, I, I say. The true saving work of Jesus in our lives will always produce a life change. His saving work comes when we have a clear vision of our present condition and a desperate desire to be saved. I'm going to read that one more time. The true saving work of Jesus in our lives will always produce a life change. His saving work comes when we have a clear vision of our present condition and a desperate desire to be saved. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10. And what we're going to do today, instead of normally reading the whole section and then going back and reading all the little sections, we're just going to start and just go one verse at a time, okay? So open to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 46. Now, this, this account of the blind man Bartimaeus and his buddy, which we never know his name, is also in Luke chapter 18, which I drew from, and also in Matthew chapter 20, which I drew from. So we're going to stay in Mark today. We're not going to go between Luke and Mark and, and Matthew. We're just going to stay in Mark. But all of what we're going to see has been drawn from those three accounts. Okay? Let's start in verse 46 in Mark chapter 10. Then they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, the ever-present crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. Now, this is what we're going to do. We're just going to go a little section by section. Here's a lineage of this guy, Bartimaeus. Now, if I'm correct, Mark is the only one that tells us his name. The reason why, and this is not in the notes. So, by the way, if you want the notes, they're on the app. They're under media, and then you go to resources, and then you see sermon notes, and you can follow along that way if you'd like, okay? But this isn't in the notes. <laughs> Many believe that the reason that Bartimaeus is named by Mark, when we found out that Mark was the very first gospel written of all four gospels, the reason Bartimaeus most likely, and this is, a, again, just a a theory, okay? There's no fact to it. But most theologians believe this, and I tend to go with them on this, is that Bartimaeus, and we're going to see at the very end, became an important part of the early church. And his story went all over the place. So he was a celeb to a point in the church. I don't think he thought of himself that way because you're going to see his heart in just a moment. But most likely he was, he was well known in the church and his story was very well known. So Mark tells us his name is Bartimaeus. His name means this, son of Timaeus. So his dad's name is what? Timaeus, okay? Now it's interesting. Now let me show you something. That, you know, I, I don't ever want to go overboard on Greek or Hebrew or any of that kind of stuff because it can get boring to a point. But I want you to grab something on this. Stay with me on this. It's really interesting. Timaeus is an Aramaic name. Timaeus means unclean or defiled. 
the, it, the word tame, if I'm, I know I'm not pronouncing cor correct, it means it denotes an impurity or a defilement. It can also refer to ritually unclean items such as people, things, foods, places. How would you like to be named unclean? Baby names. Bob, Bill, or unclean? I think I like unclean. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm being goofy on this because that's a terrible name. I mean, so here he is, Bartimaeus, which his name means son of Timaeus. So he's son of the unclean guy, which means what? There's a good chance he's unclean too. But look what's happened to him. He's blind. Now, I'm not getting into family curses or anything like that. So just relax. The Greek for his name, means this, honor, price, it means to esteem, it means to revere. Why is this important? Because what we're going to see, Jesus is about to change his name to what it really is supposed to be. He's going to move him from unclean to esteemed. Think about that. That ought to make you almost tear up. What does salvation do? Remember, it's all about salvation. Watch this. Here's his condition. He's blind. Now, we're going to see later on, he possibly was able to see at one time, because later on it says he regained his sight. So he was probably could see at one time, but he can't see now. We don't know the reason why. So he's blind. So what did blindness do? What did this unclean thing do? It reduced him to a beggar, which made him poor. His disability had reduced him to a lifestyle on the streets. Why? Because what does it say? Look in verse 46. He, at the very end, he was sitting by the road, which was very common for those who were lame or blind or hurting in some way that society had pushed them out, they would sit by the road and many times on a very active road. We see that today, do we not? Get off of I-75 and just about anywhere, what do you see? Homeless people staying there because they know why. Large traffic goes through there and we can get some, get some money. We can get some help. So he was sitting by the road. So he's a blind beggar that's poor and he's probably homeless. Here's what he, how he viewed himself. He was an outcast. He was looked down upon. Because of his blindness, remember this, we saw this earlier with the other blind man and, um, and the lame man. John, in John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, we saw that, that any type of sickness was considered by the religious elite as being cursed by God. And don't think that that doesn't go on today in a lot of faith healing stuff. Just because you're sick does not mean that you're cursed by God. I had people tell me that when I was going through cancer. What did you do wrong? What sin is in your life? I won't tell you what I told them. <laughs> then let me show you something else. Look at this. Let's go on. Verse, 40, well, this, verse 47. When he heard that it was Jesus and Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now let me show you something. 
He was looked down upon. So he was an outcast. They considered him cursed. They considered him under the judgment of God because of his ailment, because of his disability. And he was looked at and looked down upon. The treatment of the 12 in the crowd tells us how they really thought about him. Imagine this. Jesus is walking by. There's a crowd, the ever-present crowd. The 12 were with him. There's two guys sitting on the side of the road on their way out of Jericho, on their way to Jerusalem. Jesus is walking by. This guy sees him, and he goes, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Hey, Jesus, the Nazarene's going by. Jesus! Son of David! Will you shut up, you dirty, old, filthy man? Shut up! Jesus! Shut up! Stop it! That's what was going on. It was hateful. How do we treat people that are, that are going through tough times? May we never be like the crowd or even the 12 on this with anybody. So this is how they were treating him. He was an outcast. He was looked at as an outcast. He was treated as an outcast. He was treated as a man under the judgment of God. But let me tell you something. Hear me on this. I'm going to put it up there. Those who understand their need for God's mercy cannot be silenced. Those who understand their need for God's mercy cannot be, they can never be silenced. Look at verse 47 again. When they heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept on crying out all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Let me show you this. He had an unashamed embarrassment. He was embarrassed, yeah, because of who he was, but he was unashamed. You're going, that doesn't make sense. That's like, it contradicts each other. Exactly. Why? Because it says he cried out. You know what cry out means? This was interesting when I stumbled upon this. Cry out means this. It means screeching like a raven. Men, never tell that to your wife. And wives, don't tell it to your husband either. But what was he doing? I will not demonstrate. But he was crying out so loud, it was irritating. That's why they're telling him to be quiet. But he wouldn't stop. The desperation of, of, of Bartimaeus' heart to be whole overlooked the projected disdain of the crowd. He didn't care. He overlooked the disdain from the crowd. He didn't care about it because he wanted something. He knew something. And he knew that Jesus could do something. And he cried out and cried out and cried out. He had an unashamed understanding. Meaning what? The crowd called, the Lord, called Jesus, Jesus the Nazarene, right? Okay. Was, he, was that not true? Yeah. Because later on in Acts, if you read through Acts, in Peter's first sermon, he called him Jesus the Nazarene or Jesus from Nazareth. Anything wrong with that? No. But what did Bartimaeus call him? Look at the text. He said, Jesus. What did he say? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Why is that significant? The crowd called him Jesus the Nazarene. You know why? Because what he was was just a miracle worker from Nazareth. Bartimaeus said, Jesus, son of David, because he knew in his heart to do the things he does, he has to be the Messiah. So he was the Messiah from heaven. 
not a miracle worker from Nazareth. How do you view Jesus in your life? He had a truthful cry, meaning what? He said to them, he said to Jesus, have mercy on me. What's significant about that? Why is it important? Why did God put that in there? For this reason. This was a typical cry of those who were afflicted. But with Bartimaeus, it was a desperate heart cry. Have mercy on me. Because the, the, the sick and the lame and the blind that would sit by the road, you know, they would jiggle their little, you know, cup and say, have mercy on me, have mercy, 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 mercy. He wasn't doing that to Jesus. He was screaming, son of David, Messiah, have mercy on me. And you could really easily say this, son of David, have mercy on me, a sinner. Why? Because he knew what he was th how he was thought of, but he also knew his own life. Am I making sense this morning? He knew, he knew that he did not deserve the mercy of God. <clears throat> Why is that important? Because in the church today, we constantly think we deserve God's mercy. We deserve to be blessed. We deserve the prosperity of God. We deserve nothing but hell. And this man, this blind beggar, knew what he deserved. He deserved nothing. And he cried out, son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. He knew he didn't deserve anything. He was supposedly afflicted by God with a curse because of his sin. This cry was an acknowledgement by Bartimaeus that he knew he was a sinner. If you don't think so, study it yourself. Bartimaeus knew who he was. He was an outcast who was a sinner. He probably even believed that his ailment, his affliction, was because of that. And he's crying out, screaming, with an unembarrassed, unembarrassment, an unashamed embarrassment, an unashamed anything. He didn't care. I want to be healed. I want to be forgiven. I don't want to be an outcast all my life. And so he's chasing as much as he can with his voice after Jesus. No matter what the crowd was saying, the barrage of, of, of disdain from the crowd, he kept pushing. And you know what happened? Bartimaeus' heart saw the truth before his eyes ever did. That tears up my eyes because his heart knew the truth as much as he could understand before his eyes ever saw the truth, Jesus. Here's his actions. Let's look at verse 49. Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man saying to him, and actually both blind men came up. Because remember, there's two, even though we're focusing on Bartimaeus the way Mark did. The blind men, or I'll say it this way, the blind men came up. So they called the blind men, saying to him, take courage, for he is calling you. 
It blows me out of the water. Let's keep reading. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and began to follow him on the road. Now let me show you a couple of quick things. Here's his actions. First, we have to remember something as we've seen, through the, seen the crowd all through Mark. The crowd was there, why? If you really remember, why were they there? The crowd wanted a show. They wanted to see something. Bartimaeus wanted to be restored. Bartimaeus expected a sight. The crowd expected to see a miracle. And let me tell you something. I'm going to say it this way. If it gets me in trouble, okay. Do you know why most churches are going towards a very produced Sunday morning service? Because the people want to see a show. Christians want to see a show. And I'm not saying it's because you're small or anything. It's not one of, I, it, believe me, if we were 2,000, I would be saying this kind of stuff. It's not about a show. We don't come to Jesus for a show. We don't go to church for a show. We don't go to church to be blessed. We go to church to worship. We go to church to give to the Lord all that's due his name. And when we do that, it's like Oswald Chambers said, when we do that, then we will never be without the blessing and presence of God. But we never do it to get it. We do it because he's worthy. And in that giving of ourselves to him, he always gives of himself to us. This is interesting. Let's look at it again. Look at verse 49. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man, both of them, saying to him, or them, take courage and stand up. He is calling you. He says, throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. Now, let me show you something here. It says he left his possessions and his provision behind. Why? Wait a minute, that's just his cloak. Let me tell you about this. Mark tells us that Bartimaeus throws aside his cloak. Now, we've got to understand something. What was a cloak? They would have their cloak, and they would throw it on the ground, and they would sit in front of it, and they would beg. And people would come by, and they would throw their money into their coat. Most likely, that was his only possession. And they would throw his, their money into his cloak. And so he's sitting there, and that's where his, that's where his provision was. That's all he had. But the moment that Jesus called him, he says he left this thing. He threw it aside. And he stood up and they grabbed a hold of him and they led him to Jesus. The crowd, because they wanted to see something cool. He didn't care. He didn't, this didn't mean anything anymore. What means, what, what's the most important thing to you? What have you left behind to follow Jesus? Unlike the rich man, Bartimaeus spontaneously leaves everything he owns and comes to Jesus. The rich man wouldn't give it up, and he left and walked away. Remember that one? Then he says this. Look at it. Verse 51. And answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, 
Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. You're going, okay, great. He told him what he wanted. There's more to it, my friends. This is why we have to learn how to dig into the word. Let me show you something here. The word Rabboni, this is, I think, only one of two times it's used of Christ in all four Gospels. It's one of the highest titles of honors attributed to a religious leader. It means this. It means my great master. He didn't call him Jesus. He didn't call him rabbi. He called him rabboni. He said, my great master. There's something that we can honestly say, and I think without, without stretching it, Bartimaeus had some type of revelation in his heart to know who Jesus was before he ever saw him. He knew who he was. My great master. This is the highest honor given to a religious leader by anybody that follows him. By using the term Rabboni, what he did was this. Bartimaeus placed himself in total submission to Jesus as his sovereign. Man, he put himself completely under the sovereign work, power, majesty of God by saying Rabboni. And we come to God so flippantly and think we can dictate to God what we want. I just claim in Jesus' name that this will happen. God forbid. I know I'm, sound, I'm not trying to sound hard. We've got to understand something. We claim nothing except for what God wants to do at that moment. And in that, we just say, amen, so be it, Lord. I got caught up in that name and claim it stuff years ago, and it's wrong. You can't prove it anywhere. It's a man-made doctrine. This man knew he needed healing, and all he did was cry out, have mercy on me. And he'd say, Lord, by your stripes we're healed. Now, should we claim those things? Yes. Should we, we say that those are true? Yes. That's all we're doing when we claim it. <clears throat> it's a true fact. But really, when you look at that scripture, it has nothing to do with physical healing. It's about salvation. Sorry. <clears throat> Barnabas did it what? He placed himself on, on, under the sovereign sovereignty of, of Jesus. Unlike James and John, remember that? And their mom, who thought that they deserved promotion and knew that they deserved it. Bartimaeus knew he deserved nothing. And he came to Jesus and said, have mercy on me. See the difference between James and John and Bartimaeus and their approach to Christ? Bartimaeus' request was for mercy in regaining his sight. Yet in addition to his physical sight, he also gained sight, spiritual sight, for he began to follow Jesus on the road. And you know what it says? This, this, let me show you something here. Look at verse 51 again. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. 
When it says following him on a road, if you look, you don't have to do it. Well, yeah, let's do something. Look to Luke. We're go- I'm, I'm going to break my rule here. We're going to look in Luke. Look at Luke chapter 18. Look at verse 43. Here's the same account. Luke chapter 18, verse 43. It says, immediately he regained his sight, which means what? He had sight somewhere along in his life, and he lost it, and began following him. Now look what it says, glorifying God, and when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. He didn't just go, thanks. Thumbs up, great healing, Lord. I can see, 2020. He regained his sight, and automatically, what did he do? He worshiped. He praised God for the mercy that was given to him. Look at verse 49 for me real quick. Look at the last part of it. It says, and they say unto him, take courage and stand up. He is calling you. I firmly believe this because we can take it from this passage here and many others. Our cry for mercy, when we are crying out for mercy to God and our hearts are not proud but humble, and our cry for mercy, it moves the compassionate heart of Jesus every time. Every time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. Turn with me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. I want to show you something. I know I'm saying that a lot tonight. I'm not I'm trying to be uh, you know, proud. I want to show you something. I want to show you. I, I just, I've been excited all week about this message. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You're going to go, what does this have to do with it? I'm going to... I want to read this. Look at verse 3. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world, who's that? Satan. Satan. Has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What did Bartimaeus see? Before he ever regained his physical sight, what did he see? The Messiah. He knew there was something in him that only God could do, a move, a revelation that only God could give, that Bartimaeus saw that he was the Messiah before he ever got healed. The blindness was in his heart, and God removed that. He saw that, and then God removed his physical blindness. This man knew who Jesus was, but what do we, and from what we understand by tradition, he lived out his days following Christ, following Christ, most likely martyred. Luke chapter four, verses 18, 19, I'm going to put it up here on the screen for you. It says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee. But this is a messianic job description. This is what the Messiah was supposed to do. What did he just do? 
He gave sight to a blind man, but he also gave sight to his heart. He saw the Messiah. He saw. So what can we say? Bartimaeus experienced salvation before he ever got a physical healing. Unlike the rich young ruler, Bartimaeus had a clear vision of his circumstances and his sinfulness. He understood who Jesus was and that he, Jesus, could make him whole. I don't know how else to say it. And I'm saying this to those that, are, that may be watching online and those that are here, all of us, every believer. Is this you? Is this you? Are you the rich young ruler or are you Bartimaeus? You're saying, well, what, if I'm a believer, I'm not going to be the rich young ruler. Really? I was him one time. Somewhere along the line. Who are you? Bartimaeus knew who he was. He knew he was a sinner that needed the very mercy of God. That's all he wanted. But you know what? You know why we're the rich young ruler? Because we continue to live in our sin. He turned around and went right back to his sin, did he not? What do we do? What kind of sin is in the church today? What kind of stuff, what kind of games are we playing? We say we want revival, but we're not willing to give up anything to, to follow Christ. We play games with him. And we think that we're going to be safe because we made some kind of profession of faith sometime along the way. Our minds dream like harlots. Our hearts long for things that are not even of God. And then we come to church and we get an experience. Well, let me tell you, you know what that experience is? It's you and goosebumps. It's not the anointing. We're playing games. But we say we want revival, we say we want Jesus, and we sing all the songs, but we play the game like the rich young ruler. Where really we should be Bartimaeus crying out on our faces saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. We need to be Bartimaeus because we need our sight back so we see Jesus instead of ourselves. We started with this. The true saving work of Jesus in our lives will always produce a life change. Amen. His saving work comes when we have a clear vision of our present condition and a desperate desire to be saved. And if you're a believer, you can change that last line to a desperate desire to walk saved. And then we pitch temper tantrums when God doesn't give us what we want. You ever notice that? And then you get mad at the preacher when he says, suck it up and stand up and be a man or a woman. You're saying, well, that's not spiritual. It didn't minister to me. Yeah, because you're all wrapped up in yourself. And I'm not trying to be crude. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be arrogant. If, you, if that bothers you, then you have a greater problem than you think. Because if you don't think when Jesus looked at somebody and he said, follow me, always remember, what have we seen? He's done this. And he started walking. 
And if you don't think that's a way of saying stand up, gird your loins, that means pull your britches up and come on. And I'll make you, fishers of men, I'll make you this. He said, I will make you. We're going to end with this. The true saving work of Jesus in our lives will always produce the action of following. Following is the response of a truly redeemed heart. Turn your Bibles to Mark 8, 34. Don't look on the screen. It's up there. But turn your Bible. Open your Bible. And he summoned the crowd and his disciples, all of them, and said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, look what it says, he must. Now stop there. He must. You know what that means in the Greek? He must. He must deny himself. Take your pen and circle deny if you write in your Bible. And write this beside it. This word has a very heavy meaning. It means this, to disown. To disown oneself. He must deny himself and take up his cross and no matter what you may think your cross, I'm going to say this, I'm not trying to be funny the cross is not your bad marriage the cross is not your bad boss, the cross is not your lack of funds in your checking account that's not your cross the cross when he says take up your cross the cross was what? a death and it was persecution take up your own death and be ready to be persecuted for your faith. He must deny himself and take up his cross. And then he says this, follow me. Which means what? I've told, told this thousands of times. It means to walk with me and become like me on the way. Jesus is calling us to himself to, to be persecuted, if it comes down to that. He's calling himself to deny ourselves, to disown ourselves. Disown our wants, disown our life the best we can. And follow him. That doesn't mean give up your cars, give up your stuff. If he calls you to do that, fine. But that means in our heart, that stuff means nothing. My cloak with my money, the money that I begged to get, my cloak doesn't mean anything more. I left it behind to follow and gain the mercy of God in my life. That's what it's about. Where do you stand with Jesus today? And I'm speaking to my heart. Where do you stand? What's important to you? Let's pray.